Hello and welcome to the Energizing Transitions podcast. In this podcast, I, Varun and my co-host Yash have wide-ranging discussions with experts in the field of climate change and energy. We explore the challenges and opportunities faced by developing countries as they transition to low-carbon economies and the role of technology, financial markets and public policy in driving the energy transition. We hope you enjoy these conversations. So now let's uh, talk about India which can make or break the global ambition to achieve climate targets. As it stands today, India still gets the majority of its power from coal and given the recent accelerated deployment of large scale solar PV and wind, renewable energy technologies still make up just under 20% of the installed power capacity in India which excludes large hydro. While India may well be on its way to meet the uh, NDC targets under the Paris Agreement, which is 175 gigawatts of renewable energy by 2022, uh, with the Indian electricity demand expected to triple by 2040, India faces tremendous challenges when it comes to low-carbon development. So, Abhishek, uh, my question to you is, what do you believe are the biggest challenges for India in its ambition to undergo an energy transition at the pace and scale which is required? I like to think of it in terms of avoiding the negatives and not missing out on the positives. So uh, by avoiding the negatives, I mean this transition will not be smooth. Um, There are a lot of barriers in the way. One key barrier that I can think of, which is really now in the near term, is related to the finances of distribution utilities in India. So if you know anything about the power sector in India, it is a bit of a mess and has been that way since the past couple of decades or so. So it is not based on market principles. Cost recovery is very low. Ideally, when a distribution utility sells electricity at a rate that is below cost recovery level that needs to be compensated by the government by commensurate uh, level of subsidy. But that does not always happen. So the subsidies might be not adequate or delayed or not there at all. And the reason why the distribution utilities are selling electricity at below cost recovery levels is political because electricity is a public good. And it you want to provide it. Uh, there's no two ways about it. You want to provide access to electricity. The same way you want people to have access to um, healthcare, to safe drinking water, to now more and more the internet. So it is a public good. But how do we do that in a way that is uh, financially sustainable? That is something that we are yet to figure out. And that has enormous consequences for a lot of things. So, for example, as a power generator, if you want to, or as an investor, if you want to invest into power generation, and whether that be renewable or non-renewable, right now it doesn't matter, there is always the danger that because you're selling electricity to these power distribution companies, which are perpetually on the brink of uh, being insolvent and have to be bailed out every five to 10 years, who is going to pay you for that electricity? So that could be a major showstopper, or if not a showstopper, certainly something that could delay things by quite a bit when it comes to unlocking the kind of scale of financing and the kind of scale of deployment that we need for uh, renewable energy to meet um, any 
kind of ambitious targets we might have. Um, another negative that we want to avoid is not only do we have to deploy renewable energy, but we also at some point have to phase out non-renewable energy. We have to phase out coal, which is the biggest elephant in the room right now, which constitutes, I'm not sure what the numbers are, but 60 to 70% of power generation in the country. Mm -hmm. And we have to do that in a way that is equitable and just and sustainable, not only due to a moral imperative, but also to avoid any kind of political pushback that might delay the transition. So as we can see with the farmers' protests right now that are going on in the country, India is a strong, vibrant democracy. So if there are large sections of society that are left out in any major push, in any major changes in the economy and society, they will let you know about it. And uh, that is something you ideally, I guess, have to take into account right from the beginning. The third thing, what I meant by avoiding missed positives is, again, what I talked about industry. So India will be one of the biggest markets for renewable energy, for storage. And we want to avoid ending up in a situation where we merely end up importing all of this and deploying it locally. India at the moment is quite reliant on other countries when it comes to its energy sources. So in terms of coal, at least we are more or less self-sufficient, I would say. But in the transport sector, we import virtually all of our oil. So if we are going to make the transition from internal combustion engine vehicles to battery-powered electric vehicles, perhaps there are opportunities there where we can reduce this import dependence. And not only that, also use that as a motor for um, economic growth within the country. So the automobile sector contributes, again, I have to look at the numbers, but it is the largest sector when it comes to manufacturing in the country. And it is a reasonably large share of the country's GDP. So again, don't quote me on this, but I think in terms of manufacturing, it is 40% uh, of the economic output. And when it comes to GDP, it's somewhere of the order of 7 to 8% of India's economic output. So it is a huge sector and it faces an enormous um, transition that it has to make. You basically are looking at uh, the extinction of the technology and business model that they have in the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. So how do not only these companies, but we as a nation navigate this transition? Uh, I think that is very important for us to think about. You covered a lot of points here, um, especially about storage, which we'll come back to later, which Varun would be very interested to ask you some questions that uh, <laughs> that we have on uh, battery storage. But I just wanted to quickly follow up with you on one questions I have regarding the first point you made about the financial condition of uh, discoms and why a non-liberalized market is uh, probably a constraint when it comes to phasing out coal. So given that a majority of the current uh, electricity, which is, or, or the power, which is, uh, which discoms get is on the basis of long-term power purchase agreements. Do you think that liberalization of the market uh, is the solution to this issue? And if yes, would that help push renewable energy technologies 
forward on maybe on the basis of uh, you know marginal costs what's your take on this um i wouldn't say that liberalization by itself is the solution i mean the question also is what you mean by liberalization but basically at the core of it what we need is a power market that works on sound financial principles and that could be by any means that could still be a heavily regulated monopoly in an ideal world where you can get the political incentives right where electricity no longer becomes a public good which has to be distributed freely and rather than subsidizing electricity you can think of other ways in which um, you can ensure that those benefits reach those who need it the most so for example something that is discussed quite a bit is direct benefit transfers or uh, stronger oversight of how um, electricity is subsidized so for that you need um, a stronger regulator a stronger more independent regulator and some kind of ways of enforcing that um whatever level of subsidization is being given for electricity that is something that is actually compensated for uh, from the state budget so those are ways in which you could work within the existing system uh without having a drastic um change in how institutions are set up and that is something that we have to think about particularly when there is no guarantee that liberalization will automatically mean the end of financial woes in india's power sector one question that one has to think about for example is if by liberalization you also mean privatization what incentive would any private utility have to serve rural areas where uh there is an extremely low likelihood that they will make any profits so if you go by market principles if you go by cost recovery levels you will probably end up in a situation where large areas just do not get electricity because it does not make economic sense and i don't think we want to end up in such a situation so i realize there's probably not one holy grail but what one issue if solved would make solving all other issues a little bit easier again that is a very difficult question if we had an answer to that we would devote all our resources to that one question um the issue is that the power sector is complex there are a lot of actors with different incentives there are a lot of interests and power is highly political and there is no resolving that so i don't know i'm sorry i don't have a good answer for that let's talk about where to start so i'm talking about the what not not the how and the what is how do we make the power sector financially viable and how we want to achieve that you can think of different ways that could be better management practices in discoms better training for discom employees better oversight having an independent board that actually oversees the finances of the discom and ensures their long term sustainability so there are probably different ways of achieving that uh, and there might be political levers even 
but I think that it's something that um, we as a country still need to figure out. Let's go into the two technologies which are of crucial interest to India's uh, energy transition. The first is solar PV. Uh, diving a bit deeper into solar PV, uh, India has been a front runner in the deployment of utility scale solar. And currently, India has about 35 to 40 gigawatts of installed solar capacity. And in 2019, India was the third largest solar market in the world. So in your opinion, um, how have Indian policies for the solar sector enabled this tremendous development? And apart from that, would you also give credit to some external factors? Well, start with the external factors. Um, of course, one of the biggest uh, factors contributing to this growth, not only in India, but worldwide, is the spectacular cost reductions that we have seen in solar PV. And that is something that all countries have contributed to. So India has also contributed to that, this global market that we have. All of it adds up and all of it uh, has contributed to improvement in the technology. In terms of the um, factors leading to the success domestically, I think solar PV in India is an excellent case study for policy learning. So you have to get, give credits to the policymakers for constantly adapting and revising um, policies based on experiences that they've had in the past. Right from the beginning, uh, what we talked about, the issue of finances of discounts, this was something that was at the front and center of, of uh, thinking when it comes to policymaking for solar PV. So since the beginning, uh, there was an attempt to de-risk solar investments by not having the discoms themselves as the off-taker, but having an, an uh, intermediary that had better finances. So usually that has been secchi. So right from the beginning, policymakers were thinking of creative ways to attract private finance into solar PV. You can see that in subsequent examples also, as issues emerged related to for example, land acquisition or grid interconnection, which became bigger risks as time went by, um, Indian policymakers came up with the creative solution of having solar parks where everything was there for you. You had the land, you had the grid interconnection ready. All you had to do was come in, develop the project, get the financing, put up the plant, and you were good to go. So that was another creative form of de-risking. I would say yes, there has been a lot of, I would give a lot of credit to uh, policy making in India when it comes to the success that we see in terms of deployment. But at the same time, I would not paint it as a completely rosy picture. There have been some failures as well. So uh, right at the beginning, one of the biggest goals of India's national solar mission was also to set up uh, local manufacturing for solar PV. I would not go into the reasons uh, why it failed. But if you also look at the initial auctions, uh, there was um, a good content, or I think around 30% that needed to come locally when it came to module manufacturing, which was gradually ramped down. So probably there was something about the policy design at that time. And I would not comment on exactly what it was, but uh, it was not conducive to localizing manufacturing, uh, whether that be due to long-term uncertainty 
whether that be due to inadequate incentives for local manufacturing or perhaps due to the not ideal business environment or access to global markets or all of these things but today we import the majority of our uh, modules from china or other countries in east and southeast asia so that is something that we feel that is there is there scope for improvement um on the design of indian policies for the solar sector and i mean you can keep it brief but i just want to know if there is any one specific key improvement that comes to your mind when you think about the indian solar sector and how to better incentivize maybe uh, private developers if there is a hurdle to that in fact if you think of increasing the installed capacity which is currently at 35 40 gigawatts given such ambitious targets that india has i think there is always scope for improvement if you look at the story so far it is a story of constant evolution and it's likely to stay so in the future so for example if you see recent auctions um where tenders were put out for what is called round the clock power where you basically combine solar pv and um some kind of storage um so that you're not only providing electricity during the day when the sun is shining but basically run the clock um that is another innovation that we do have to think about in the future as uh, the costs of electricity storage come down um so there is already um thinking in that direction one thing that probably we need to do better is ensuring that some of these headline making bids that we have are actually sustainable that is one thing uh, not only looking at one number which is the uh, bid price but also looking at probably other financial metrics so what is your leverage what is your debt service ratio so you want to look at a bit deeper into that and ensure that uh, these things will these projects will actually go through and will be sustainable in the longer term that is one thing another thing that we probably want to get better at is also ensuring better standards and quality checks on the technology that is actually deployed so at the moment there is tremendous downward pressure in terms of prices and which might um incentivize cost cutting and if that is cost cutting in terms of uh the quality of um the technology that is being deployed that is again something that is not good in the longer term because typically for a solar plant you're looking at lifetimes of 20 25 30 years but with the projects that are currently being deployed we don't know how long they will go for so probably we also need to get better at that um so we need to focus less on the headline making numbers we need to focus less on the 2 rupee bid or the 175 gigawatts and get more down to the nitty gritties of really having a functioning sector i always think of the solar industry in india as a kind of an analog for fast growing clean technologies uh, in developing nations and i always wonder uh, you know for every successful low bid utility scale solar there is also an unrealized rooftop solar potential and that's kind of one of the things that i wondered about uh, the growing battery industry in india the iea for example predicts that by 2040 india will account for a third of the total deployments in 2040 what type of applications are expected to drive this expected growth and 
are we also running the risk of locking into one application or you know having a lack of variety because as uh, as you stated earlier that is something that is very key uh, to the development of this energy storage industry so uh, what's your take on that i think that's definitely something we have to think about so so far most of our solar pv deployed uh, capacity has been large centralized plants um for which so far land acquisition has been an issue and will continue to be so in the future because india is a densely populated country we do not have that much uh land and land ownership is also highly fragmented so we don't have consolidated large pieces of land owned by single owners so that's one thing and the second thing is i'm not sure if we can keep driving the kind of growth that we want to see through periodic government auctions um we want to have additional levers and if there are alternate avenues we have to explore them as well so if there is potential for solar pv to grow organically mm-hmm. um in a decentralized manner because it makes economic sense we should have the right incentives the right tariff structures the right regulations in place uh to allow the end consumers to make that decision for themselves at the moment again it comes down to utility finances because uh, a lot of contexts where solar rooftop solar pv does make sense mm-hmm. is where tariffs are high and tariffs are typically high for commercial industrial customers and these are basically the cash cows of the distribution utilities so these are customers that they do not want to lose um so if they reduce their consumption from the grid because they're consuming more and more from their rooftop solar pv systems that's bad for the distribution utility so there is a conflict of interest there so again we need to think about how do we align these interests how can the distribution utilities instead of being losers from deployment of distributed rooftop solar pv rather become stakeholders probably we want to enable a transition within the distribution utilities themselves so that they can be service providers they can be the ones installing these rooftop solar pv systems so that becomes an additional business vertical and a revenue stream for them rather than a loss yeah i think i'll leave it at that so how how well equipped do you think the current uh, policy landscape for energy storage is in india to handle this transition so um if we talk about the policy framework for energy storage generally i don't think there is any or th- any that i'm aware of that uh, actually has a systematic strategy for distributed grid connected energy storage so yeah these are some of the bigger question picture questions that uh, we need to be thinking about in a more strategic manner let's close the discussion with one final question um and this is a very open ended broad question uh, the question is what is your perspective on the kind of opportunities that will be created by the energy transition over the next decade in india what should we be looking forward to within the next decade one thing that i'm excited by is um, right now is e mobility so there is a lot of hype but some of that is based on reality india is the largest two and three wheel manufacturer in the world i think that when it comes to electric scooters and electric rickshaws 
India should totally capitalize on this opportunity because now is the time when it actually makes sense. So experimenting with different technologies, different business models, um, financing, leasing of these vehicles, um, experimenting with different models when it comes to battery swapping, for example. Um, conditions are ripe for that. And I'm curious to see how things evolve within the next decade or so. And I do believe that uh, just because of, well, not only because of its uh, large domestic market for two and three wheelers, but also um, because of the manufacturers that we have and the capabilities that we have, I think India can do some exciting things in this space. Yeah, so Yash and I actually placed bets on whether you would say two and three wheelers or not. Um, <laughs> so is there anything else that uh, you would like to bring up for the listeners of this podcast? No, I think they've probably heard me enough. Both of us would like to thank you very much for your time and insights on this podcast. It's been a pleasure learning from you, as always. And we wish you all the best with your new job. And uh, we look forward to hosting you again. Thank you. Uh, thanks a lot for having me and all the best to you too. Thank you, Abhishek. It was great to have you.